For as many patients as I see in here, for the ones that come in with failed foot surgeries, um, there's a lot of them. And I am not here to say that, that those surgeries sometimes are not warranted. There certainly is a time and a place for them. Um, I do think sometimes they're overutilized as is with some treatments. And if we can intervene or co-manage and work together, I think that things start to change. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective. I'm Nick, and we're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week, I speak with Courtney Conley from Gate Happens. She shares the story of how she came to be doing the work that she does today. We talk about the role that footwear has in restoring natural foot health and how she explains it to patients that she works with. We share our definitions about health uh, and she shares something that she's recently changed her mind about and a really powerful insight that she had with the patient. Uh, we talk about the concept of team foot health, the global crew of people who are all working to solve uh, the foot dysfunction problem. Uh, and also the idea of an annual summit and just the power of connecting in person when the occasion presents itself. So I really enjoyed speaking with Courtney and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Ciao. Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to share a story from our community. Pasita Ditmar is a member of our Explorer program. This is a journey and journeys are about taking in everything along the route. It's been transforming uh, for me. I started with orthotics in my shoes that I've been wearing for about 10 years and never taking my shoes off. I have not had my orthotics on for weeks and weeks now. My shoe wardrobe has changed. My feet have stopped hurting for the most part and I'm starting to, to make lots of changes to my life. So thank you team and all those people who've encouraged me. If you're like Pasita and have a specific foot or ankle condition, issues up the chain at your knees, hips or back, or just want to improve your overall movement health, the Explorer program is for you. To learn more, head to thefootcollective.com forward slash explorer. The link is in our show notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TFC's Restore to Explore podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nick, and today I'm hosting a conversation with Courtney Conley from Gate Happens. So, Courtney, thanks for being here uh, and taking the time out of your day to share your story, your knowledge, uh, and your wisdom with our community. Yeah, thank you so much, Nick. I've really been looking forward to this. <laughs> we have some tech fresh at the start. So, this is, in theory, this is rep three of doing this. It's like Groundhog Day, but anyway, we're good now. Um, so, I think a good place to start is with your story because, you know, at TFC, we're all about the power of story. Um, I've never heard your entire story uh, firsthand. So, you know, why do you do the work that you do today? How did you come to be doing this work? And you can make it as long or as short as you want. If you just tell the story the whole hour, that's fine, but I'll, <laughs> I'll leave it up to you. All right. All right. I, I'll try not to, to take the whole hour. It's a, it's an interesting story, but it's not that interesting. Um, movement has always been my um, kind of safe net, my go-to when uh, things have not um, gone well, really ever since I can remember as a kid. Um, 
it's always been, how can I, you know, get outside and get going to make myself feel better. So I knew from a very young age that I wanted to get into um, helping other people and helping other people move better. Um, so I went through schooling and then I ended up in chiropractic school uh, in Chicago. And we had, I think, a half a semester of foot and ankle education. The school was actually sponsored by a several orthotic companies. So every student that came in, you were given two free pairs of orthotics. You know, and you're you're a student, and you're like, "Wow, free stuff! This is great." <laughs> I used to go around getting you know? free pens at all the company things. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hear you. I'm like, of course, I'm going to wear these. They're free, you know. Um, and that was kind of what we knew. Right. And we got a little bit of it of education, and I got out of school and. Um, I really, I was always very intrigued by the foot and the, and the mechanics of it. I was a runner growing up. I had suffered from um, bunions and foot pain and, you know, I was a ballet dancer in point shoes. And so I just was very interested in how I could help myself feel better. So I got out of school and I actually ended up working in a couple of orthotic labs. Um, and we were making orthotics. Um, I actually married uh, a podorthist. So we had an orthotic lab nice. um, and we always joke around. It's really funny that that was the beginning of the end because we're no longer married, but you know, he's still making orthotics and I'm trying to get people out of them, you know, mm. um, but time and a place. Yep. Um, so yeah, so that's what we were doing. We were putting people in orthotics and I was wearing them all the time. And then I was chasing symptoms around. I'm like, my foot might feel a little better, but now my knee or it was my hip. So I started to dive deep more into what we were doing. You know, are we, what are we doing to the foot? Why are we treating the foot so much differently than how we're treating everywhere else in the body? And so I started to self-educate and then surround myself with, you know, some very smart people. Um, you know, started reaching out to people like yourselves, um, asking questions, uh, learning, and I was bringing that information back into my clinic. And so I started dabbling this. I'm like, Hey, with all of my patients, I was like, let's talk about removing these orthotics and let's try some of this stuff. And I also did that with myself personally. And, um, things just started to get better. Um, patients were feeling better. Um, athletes were performing better and I knew we, that we were onto something. So that was probably, gosh, I've been in Colorado now for 12 years and I pro and I was on this journey when I moved out here and it's just really escalated into something beautiful because we're helping so many people now, Nick. And, you know, if I had a, for as many patients as I see in here, for the ones that come in with failed foot surgeries, um, there's a lot of them. And I am not here to say that, that those surgeries sometimes are not warranted. There certainly is a time and a place for them. Um, I do think sometimes they're overutilized, as is with some treatments. And if we can intervene or co-manage and work together, I think that things start to change. So in any case, that's kind of my Long story short, I, um, I'm pretty passionate about this stuff. I, I moved out to Colorado for a reason because I like 
walking up and down these mountains when I'm not feeling too good. And it kind of breaks my heart when people can't do that. And then they kind of get into that cycle of, you know, I don't want to move and things hurt. And then, you know, what happens from there. Yeah. And I think it's also important to say, you know, just around the surgery piece or orthotics or any, any interventions, like everyone prescribing or doing those interventions want to help people. Like they all have good, we all have good intentions. There's a bunch of different tools. Uh, we all have different perspectives on how to apply the different tools and what the trade-offs being made are. Um, I think we all have different financial incentives, which is like, you know, I spend most of my time these days. <laughs> you good? <laughs> I spend most of my time these days trying to understand money. Uh, you know, just like health literacy is a big problem. It's like monetary literacy. And, you know, I find that really interesting because I think that's actually where a lot of the other peripheral issues that seem to be bubbling up a lot sort of stem from. But once we acknowledge kind of like, okay, people out there are doing their best for everyone. Um, and we're all learning at different paces and we're all have a variety of openness to changing our minds based on the work that we do and how much that makes us focus on what we're doing versus like the bigger picture. Um, when did, so is your practice just a couple of curious specific questions. It's like, do you, when did you switch? When did gate happens happen? Uh, no pun intended in terms of like the branding and do you pretty much just treat like are you treating the whole body are you treating lower body are you treating feet Uh, I'd love to hear what your practice looks like now and when the gate happens branding happened and and why and um, yeah just love to hear the story there yeah I have so many good stories there for you Um, but yeah I think you bring up a good point just to touch on that I mean when we were casting people for orthotics because that's what I was doing when I first got out of school of course, you're doing the best that you know at that time. Yep. And I think, you know, it, my, in my practice in Colorado, I think the best clinicians are the ones that surround themselves with the best referral system too, you know, so that we know who to refer to when things are needed. So, yep. yeah, I, I think that's just a good point. But, yeah, my practice here is in Colorado. I've been here for about 12 years. About – Six years ago is when Gate Happens started, and it started. I was I used to teach for Rock Tape, um, which is a kinesiology tape company, and every year they took us on an instructor summit to Mexico, and we would all. And it was such a great community. I loved what they built there because we all there was like 50 of us. We all got to go down there. We got to exchange stories, learn from each other, and. I just remember thinking to myself, if I ever have a company, I want to be able to do this, you know, for my, the people, it just, you felt so empowered when you left. And I loved that, what they did there. And in any case, when we were down there, one of my friends said to me, you know, you really like the foot. You should start posting about it when you get home on Instagram. And I was like, are you serious? (laughs) It's like, really? So I think it was like 2017 and she's like, just do me a favor. You have to do it every single day. Interesting. And I was like, how, that's a secret ingredient. It really is. (laughs) And I was like, how hard can it be? So I come back from Mexico. Um, and I was like, all right, for this year, I'm going to post every single day, something about the foot. And Nick, I would see, I, that's when I was seeing patients and I'm, I was probably working from, I think that's, I talked to you shortly after that because I was like, I need, what are your thoughts? Cause I was seeing patients at 
from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Sometimes half hour slots, sometimes an hour. So it would be anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15 patients a day. And then I would come home. That is so much energy also. It's just like so, if you really like, if you really care and you really want to give people every ounce of juice you have, this is the problem. The reason I paused there is I kind of realized like the people who care the most get burnt out the fastest because you're working in the system that is rigged against you if you actually want to help people get better. And, you know, people don't even know they can get themselves better. They just literally want to get rid of the pain. Pain sucks. Get it away. It stopped me from doing this. I want to be pain free. So they're not even coming to see you to actually solve the problem. They're coming to see you to get out of pain. That's what that is the only definition they have of why you exist. Right. Um, And yeah, like just thinking of, of you saying that reminds me like, Oh my God, it's so much life force energy. Uh, you know, and it's so in the, in the world today, if you're trying to empower people through health, it's really hard to justify seeing people in person, seeing 10 people a day in person and just destroying all your energy when you can help a thousand people a second with a post, uh, without it taking much, it's like a crazy energy multiplier. So sorry, continue. You're working eight to five. Yeah. And it's, you're exactly right. And I always used to think to myself, thank God I love what I do. Because if I had to do this all day long like this, I don't know if I could do it. And then I would come home and I have um, uh, a young daughter. I'm a single mom. And so I would always tell myself, whenever I got her from school until she went to bed, like that was our time. So then after that, that's when I would start to do these posts. So when I first started doing it, I'm not kidding you. It would take me two hours to do one post. (laughs) Because I'm like, I can't figure out the spacing. How many hashtags do I have to use? And I was like, I told myself I was going to do it. So I'm I'm up till like midnight doing this stuff. I'm like, okay, well, you'll figure it out eventually. And then it started to like catch fire a little bit. Um, and so then I was getting messages. Can you help me with my, you know, foot pain or whatever? Um, so now I'm working all day and then I'm posting at night and now I'm answering messages. Right. And I'm trying to, you know, answer all these DMS and emails and a friend of mine for said, free. this is not for free, for free, for free, right. For free. Um, probably for a good year, but, um, proof of work right there. That's uh, was, we're big on proof of work at TFC. It's a concept from yeah. Bitcoin where it's like posting every single day for a year and helping a shitload of people without ever being paid for it is like, number one, you learn a shitload. So you might not be yes. getting paid money wise, but you're like, you're getting paid in real life experience, stories, experiment results. Like you get, you you know, you don't, yeah, you don't get paid for your time, but you literally get paid in knowledge and in engagement with people who have problems, which you can help them with. So you get paid in, in, in knowledge, but also there's such a thing as too much knowledge. And at the end of the day, you still got to make money to pay the bills. You can't, you can't pay your mortgage and knowledge. You can't do that yet. (laughs) I mean, it was probably those first two couple years was probably when I've learned the most because as it started to catch fire, right? Like everything that I've put out, I had, I made sure that I researched it and I'm like, you know, cause I want to make sure that what I'm saying is, um, and what we're teaching is the best that I know of right now. Right. So there was just so much that kind of went into it. Um, and then a, the same friend was like, something's got to give here. You're not going to, you're not, you can't do this forever. And then we, um, 
I said, all right. I said, well, maybe we'll just start doing virtual work. And this was, when I say we, this was me. And it was actually, it wasn't even Gate Happens. It was Court Conley. That was my Instagram um, account. And so I'm in the clinic four days a week. And then I said, all right, I'm going to take Fridays and we're just going to do, see some virtual people. Um, and so that's what I was doing for about another year. And then the pandemic happened and our offices uh, shut down. So I said, all right, well, let's open it up. So by then I had brought on Dr. Perez. So she was working for me in our offices here in Colorado. And I said, hey, would you want to help me with Gate Happens? And we had switched the name at that point. And she was like, yeah, sure. And the whole world just opened up because I've been so blessed to be surrounded by some great people. Um, and the people that, you know, Jen is um, everything that I am not. There are certain things that I just do not like to do. Um, I like the content part. I like to create the content. I don't know how to do half the stuff when it comes to the business part of it. And she just shines there. And I think it's a testament that just surrounding yourself with the right kind of people to to help pick up the pieces with some of that. Yep. So, yeah, so we opened up the virtual um, the virtual work during the pandemic and then things just really got got a little crazy. And to this day, we still post every single day. We um, so it's been six. It's been six years. Wow. That is so impressive. It's so what we've done now is on the weekends. This started, um, I think it was January of this year. We told the team, because now there's about eight of us, everybody's getting the weekend off. Nice. So yeah. we post Monday through Friday, um, and it is, it's been, I mean, you know the work that goes into it, but it's been such a blessing. There's, I mean, we've been able to help so many people reach people in places that you would never, yeah. you know, get that exposure to. That's what it's about. It's like, it's good, you know, doing good for people by giving free information every day for a year actually ends up being really good for business. Um, yeah. Even though you don't get, it's it's like on the back end that you get paid for it, not on the front end. So yeah, yeah I, I think consistency is underrated when it comes to, you know, like I've, I've had a few people are like, how did you, how did you build a big following? And it's like, literally just consistently giving people yeah. valuable information. That's it. I used to post three day, three times a day, every day. I did that for years and I don't know why it was like so much. It was so much more yeah. than needed to be done. And then I started taking weekends off probably like three years ago. Now link it yeah. does all the Instagram and it's 10 X better than it used to be. Um, and, but yeah, I can definitely respect all the work that goes into that. And then you have this community that you can then serve through cyberspace. And like you said, I think the cool yeah. thing is, in the digital world, you're no longer limited by your geography. You're no longer limited by right. how far people need to go to drive to see you. Realistically, in the world today where people are just paying for value instead of being restricted to like, oh, I don't know if I have enough insurance coverage or blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, no. You want to talk to the best people? You can. You can talk to the best people yeah. on planet Earth about the thing you need help with because you can find them in cyberspace. You can pay them for their time and you can get their help. Um, yep. And there's something really special about that because when you develop an, an effectiveness to really help people, word of mouth goes around and then you just price your time based on supply and demand, right? If you have a hundred people on a yeah. wait list, you double your rate. Then you have a 50 person wait list yeah. and then you double it again. It's like, okay, now I have enough people that I can see that are justifying me 
um, helping them and subsidizing my time to help a shitload of other people without getting paid. And like, that is a very special thing about the digital world. And, uh, you know, it's been cool to see all the other people on, you know, I, I think of it as there's team foot health as a global team of people who mostly don't know each other, who are doing something to fight the enemy, which is dysfunctional, um, painful feet, let's say. So if you're making natural footwear, you're on team foot health. Uh, if you're helping people one-on-one to, you know, take better care of their feet, you're on team foot health. And so part of this podcast now is to talk to everyone I know of in team foot health, because we're all on the same team. We all use different tools. We all solve the problem a little bit differently. Um, but it's like, we need more of us. It's not, we're never in competition. We can make the exact same style of product. We are not in competition because your community is different than Mm -hmm. someone else's community. And at the end of the day, free markets work out who has the best product, who's the best at this thing. And there's going to be enough things related to this mission that everyone's going to be able to find a lane. And the most important thing is that we are way better when we're all doing it together. When we coordinate and learn together and share ideas and, you know, disagree in good faith, we all push truth deeper into like, we all get closer to truth together. And I think that's a really cool thing. And, you know, you talk about that rock tape um, summit that they do. It's like, I don't know if it's next year or the year after. I don't really want to organize it, but Mac, another the, the chief at TFC, says we we might help do it. But like a foot summit, like put together a, yeah, a for foot sure. summit I love it. that's really not about making money. It's about getting all the coolest people together yeah. to do something really fun and create good content for the world. So yeah, we're gonna try and emulate that. It's at some point. it's game changing. Um, yeah, we were able to bring our team to Mexico this year. Awesome. So it was uh, we had uh, six girls down there. And it was exactly, Nick, like what I wanted to get out of that weekend was exactly what had happened, which was they, cause they're all from all over, all over the place. So none, some of them had not met each other. Cool. Um, and that's the best we were, when you have a relationship like, and you've never met, I work with Ruth yeah. every single day, not every single day. We, we talk almost every day. I speak to her more than I talk to my actual mom, which is also her name is Ruth. Kind of weird. It worked out that way. We've never met. And so when I meet yeah. Ruth for the first time, it's going to be like uh, after three years of working together. So I can relate to that feeling. Oh, uh, it was just amazing. And the, and the, you know, camaraderie and the community that was built. And now, you know, these girls have better relationships with each other. And then collectively, because, you know, we had that time together now our communication amongst each other is just, it just was taken to another level mm. and you can see it in the, in the foundation of the company, which has been really, really awesome. Amazing. And the, the, the benefit is the client on the, on the other end, because I think when you have a team that met, that meshes like that, it's so important. I agree. You should really like the people you work with. And when you do, you're going to do way better work. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, like a lot of our teams in Australia, you know, I don't get to go and engage with them in person very often, but when I do, it's like, we do a year's worth of work in a month. Um, because you can, you know, just the fact that it's not discontinuous communication, it's not someone sends a message, then someone else does. It's like a conversation can be like a thousand of those messages in two hours. Um, and yeah, you can do a lot and you can learn a lot and do a lot in person and you can deepen the relationships that you have digitally just to make your work way more enjoyable and do way better shit. So, yeah. Oh yeah. We, we have a gate assessment course, a level one course. Um, 
that I've been working on editing for the past, because every time I teach it, I just want to tweak it and tweak yep. it. And in Mexico, the whole thing got edited in like three <laughs> days. I'm like, this is amazing. Nice. <laughs> you know? Yes, you can do a lot. So it's great. Uh, um, all right. One question. We'll get into some topic specific questions, but if you want to chat, if anything comes to mind, you want to chat about, just throw it out there. Um, footwear is a big element when it comes to protecting your feet from damage and restoring foot function. At least I think so. And I think based on your content, you probably think similar. Um, yes. with that said, everyone sort of brings up the topic of footwear differently when they're working with people. Like I said, we're all on the same mission, but we all kind of approach the mission differently. So, you know, I'm going to, I started to ask this question to people and I'm just curious. I always want to hear different ways that things are being explained. So if someone walks into your door, um, with like bunions and plantar fasciitis, um, and you know, amongst all the other things you might do, you get to the footwear conversation. How do you bring up the topic of footwear? Uh, and you know, how do you, what's your, you know, most up-to-date version of how you bring up footwear and how you explain it for someone who knows literally nothing about shoes just has, it doesn't even have to necessarily be bunions, plantar fasciitis, but something where you can see like, okay, footwear, their footwear game needs some love. <laughs> how do you bring yeah. that up? First, um, I have given myself more time. Hmm. So our patient visits in the office, uh, my new patient visit is now an hour and a half. Um, because I know that conversation is going to come up and I want to have the time to be able to explain to them why I'm moving in this direction. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second is I always try to meet the patient where they are. Um, I think as I'm working with them for that, you know, assessment period, you can get a very good, or you should get a very good idea of who you're dealing with. You know, are they an athlete? Have they had failed foot surgeries? What are their goals, their specific individual goals? Um, I tell our team, it's very important that you treat the person, not their bunion, right? So you treat the person, not the diagnosis. And then based on that information that you gather, then how do I transition and have the conversation? So That's a good point. The, the one thing that I... I always kind of my entry point is getting the foot into its functional position. And to be honest, Nick, it's not a hard sell because after I sit there and explain to them and I have my foot model and I'm showing them, you know, the foot and all the this things that you and I talk about all the time, you see these light bulbs going off and like, well, and they always say that just makes sense. And that's when I'm like, it's not a hard sell hmm. because it does. It makes sense. So once they understand that it makes sense, then it's where do I intervene? If they've had um, multiple foot surgeries and a lot of them, um, you know, there's deformities as a result and or before the surgery, I have to be very wise on what type of shoe I put them in because they might not necessarily like one that has a very thin sole, but I can certainly still put them in the wide toe box. So we'll go with something with a wider toe box and maybe some more stack height or cushion on it. But they're definitely going to be moving into a shoe and every single person, and I'm not kidding, once we get them into a, a shoe that actually fits their foot, this feels so much better. It, it's it, every single time. Yeah, not that's especially not a hard sell. When they feel it and they're like, ooh, this is what, yeah. <laughs> my feet can feel like this? 
And then, you know, so that's on one end of the spectrum. And on the other end, when I have my runners or my, you know, where they have foot pain or they have, you know, plantar fasciosis or things like that, then we have to see what their capacities are. You know, I'm looking at strength deficits and what are their goals? Do they want to be running up and down mountains or do they want to be running flat, flat? And then we'll have the shoe conversation and it kind of fits to what, what our goals are there. But the goal is always um, to be transitioning them into something more functional first and building their, their comfort level with it. Because a lot of this information is extremely new to people and it's still kind of boggles my mind because most of the people that I talk with, this is all we talk about. Right. So when I go to airports and I'm still like walking around, I'm like, we have so much work to do. Because, <laughs> I know. It's you know? Uh. So by this point in the game, now in the clinic here, um, I only, my, um, I only see basically patients that have foot and ankle issues. Now that doesn't mean it's not being driven from the hip or the back or what have you. But by the time they get in here, they know the conversation that's going to happen is some somewhere along the lines. We're going to have that talk about footwear. Nice. And I, I I enjoy it. I really enjoy it because it's such an easy win. Hmm. Yeah. The game is, the game is mastering how you adjust the conversation you have so that it lands hard mm-hmm. for the person you're speaking to, which means every conversation is different because every yep. human that comes to you is different. And the fun part is actually, you know, at least for me now is like, okay, I'm not here to convince people of anything. If someone, if I, if I will never talk to someone about footwear from the perspective of, I want to convince this person if they're, right. <laughs> and they're not interested, it's like, I don't care. I don't care to talk about that with that person about footwear at all. We can talk about something else, but for people that are legitimately ready and they're interested, yeah. It's like, okay, well, what questions do I have to ask to assess how I should present this? And and there's always a lot of fun too working with groups where you have to find this um, fundamentals-based approach to explain it so that you get, you know, the like the doctor and the, the grandma that doesn't know anything about shoes will get something totally different from the words you say out of your mouth. But you have yeah. to be able to say it in a way that both of them can take something. Um, and yeah, I never, uh, you know, there's ebbs and flows where I kind of get, I'm like, are we still talking about the same stuff? Like, or do, do people, you know, but then you, then, like you said, you go somewhere where you see everyone's in terrible footwear and you talk to people that like literally are so excited about improving their bodies and have no idea how, and they're ready and they just need a tool or to be pointed in the right direction. And they're like, you changed my freaking life. Cause now I can walk yeah. and I can play with my grandkids. Like, okay, I'm, I'm invigorated again. I'm ready, <laughs> I'm ready to go for another yeah. sprint because you're right. It's like, there's a huge problem. Uh, 99% of footwear of the 450 billion a year in the U S is unnatural footwear. So people are literally 99% of people are wearing shoes that are creating work for us. So there's never going to be, there's not going to be a shortage of people needing this help. It's, I think it's like, how do we all make sure we're on the same page and updating our frameworks together to improve, like to level up the whole team foot health, um, gang. And, uh, and what are creative ways that other people are solving this problem uh, yeah. that we can be inspired by? Because I think that's really the whole thing is like, we should all feel comfortable taking from each of our approaches because that is how it works. It's like, yeah. if you do something awesome that we've not done, uh, we're going to start doing it because if it can benefit our community, which right. might be, there's probably overlap, but in the end, it's like your community, our community, 
in the middle, there's people that are part of both, which is probably a shitload of people. But at the end of the day, it's like, how do we get the best information to as many people as possible and help as many people as possible apply the information? Because that's, mm-hmm. that's what I've been thinking of these days is like, we used to make online courses and now it's like, we, and an online course to me is just more information. It's like, here's more information, maybe a bit of help on how to apply it, but it's more information. Now it's like, well, if we just make sure everyone has the right information, which is essential, but it's actually not the most important part because someone can have the right information, but if they don't actually understand how to apply it in their lives and actually make changes, it's like the information doesn't matter at that point. Um, so, and out of curiosity, what, what is your percentage percentage of time each week that you're spending on virtual versus in clinic? Has that shifted at all? Is do you, uh, are you always going to keep like if virtual blasted off, would you still keep in clinic? Why? I'm just, yeah, curious to see how your business has sort of morphed since you first started doing digital stuff. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm in the clinic three days, three days a week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday now, um, they're more like half days. Um, this is where my heart is. I enjoy being with people, you know, and being able to, you know, have that hands-on experience with them. Um, but I also, um, have realized, um, you know, we, I was talking, I interviewed Dr. Ebony Rio the other day and she said something that, that kind of stuck with me. She said, you know, cause she wears two hats. She's a clinician and she's also a researcher. And she said, you know, being a clinician is great. You get to help one person being a researcher. You get to help many. And, you know, I thought she's like, you can really work, um, and kind of work in both worlds. And I thought about that. And I do also enjoy teaching. I enjoy writing content. I enjoy taking what I've learned in here and being able to teach other, Hmm. you know, doctors and say, okay, this is how you can then help, help your clients too. Um, So that's where I've kind of shifted gears. So um, I will occasionally see some virtual people, but now we have a team. So we have five other virtual practitioners that are seeing, you know, doing those you know, kind of assessments, if you will. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been nice to mix it up. I enjoy that too. Yeah. And I think, you know, you said researcher clinician, I think being a clinician makes you a better researcher. Um, and yeah, you don't, and I think sometimes you run into problems when we're only researchers, like when, when the research bubble becomes its own rigid thing, Uh, I think that's how we run into problems where we do things that don't really work for way longer than we need to do them. Um, Yeah. And did you read who wrote um, skin in the game? He wrote skin in the game and anti-fragile. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, I always tell my team this, like, unless you're in it. Yeah. You need real life experience. You need base reality, unequivocal experience to, to reiterate that what you're doing is right. <laughs> yes. Like yeah. no one on our team, no one that it works for gate happens does not see patients. It's one of my rules. It's if you're going to be teaching and you're going to be saying, Hey, this is what's working. You have to know if it's working right. and, or have had some type of extended clinical experience because it's very easy to sit behind a desk and say, Hey, these are the things that, you know, I've studied. Um, and then the skin in the game isn't there. Right. And even on yeah. yourself too. Like if you're, Oh yeah. You know, I've met a few clinicians that like talk a big game when it comes to feet and I look down at their feet and I'm like, you might be, you're on your journey, but like how, <laughs> <laughs> how much time you, those shoes are whack and how much time are you actually spending <laughs> on your paws? Like, I don't care what you tell me, show right. me like proof of work is all I care. About. Oh yeah. Um, hundred percent. Yeah. So there's like, 
you know, but I think a lot of people who everyone should just be willing to change their mind and be open to getting first person experience. Cause at the end of the day, you have your own body. The people who are helping others should be the people who take their own health really seriously. And I think that's like yep. this shift where I think the, in, in, in yesterday's world, the degree you had mattered, uh, but how good you were at helping others yeah. didn't matter. And you mostly treated symptoms. That's like the, the world we're on our way out from. The next world is like, degrees are nice, but I really care like how well, how good are you? What's your ability to help others? And what do you, what is your, what do your feet look like? What does your own movement capacity look like? Like, that's yeah. really what I care about. Not what letters you have beside your name. I want to see like, yeah. what's the work you've done by just showing me. Um, and I think that's a big, you know, I think that's what degrees used to mean, right? Degrees were a proxy so that when you wanted to go, you know, if I was just a random person, I want to go see a physio. I don't want to have, I don't know the questions to ask if someone right. actually sh can do what a physio does. I don't even know what a physio is. All I know right. is if they have the letter physio beside their name, they did a degree and that allows me to assume that they know what they're talking about. Um, the problem is- I think is, all the worlds know. too are blending so much. Like when we yeah. teach our courses, it's like podiatrists, massage therapists, chiros, PTs, you know, and, and I love that, that, you know, we can all, when we work together, we can help more people. And yep. instead of being like, well, this is only what a PT does. And this is only what a, you know, we all bring a different skill set and- when I think that line is getting blurred, which, you know, I'm okay with. You know? Same. And I, you know, I've always liked the perspective of, I want to be a health generalist with a specialty. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of times now we have just specialists that actually don't understand health. And I actually yeah. think it's good that we have specialties and different specialties so that we can, you know, like if you specialize in something different than me, I want to be able to bring, have a person come to me help them and then say, well, the best person to help you with this is, is court because she specializes in this. So go there, talk to her. She'll be able to carry over and fill the blind spots that she's better at helping you with than me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's back to that network of having like a small, but yeah. really high integrity, high trust, um, high fidelity connection network of people, you know, on a deeper level than just like the most convenient person to go to for something, yeah. you know, they actually share your values, share your principles and, um, and are good at what they do. And yeah, I think there's, it's like a giant opportunity, right? It's like a huge problem, yeah. also a giant opportunity. And if you can make it fun and meet awesome people, like that's what it's about. Yeah. I think clients really respect that too. When, when you can say to them, this is, this is where I can help you, but, oh, you're having uh, we know that the pelvic floor is involved here here's my person. Yep. Right. And then I'm on the phone with that person. We're discussing the case and it, things just go so much better. And like I said, I think the client really in the end, because they end up getting the healthcare that they deserve respects all of that. Yeah. Yeah. They get actual healthcare instead of just symptom treatment. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a question I like to ask. What's something related to your work that you've changed your mind on in the past six months? Well, this is kind of cool. I've been looking at this. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so a lot of the patients that come in here um, will have a very, will have rigid, stiff feet. Um, and you, I don't like to, you know, throw out the word foot type out there. Um, but I'm seeing more, more and more of these patients with this bilateral, you know, stiffness and rigidity to us in particular, their midfoot. 
and I was with someone and I'm, I'm a biomechanist like at heart. So I'm like always thinking biomechanics, you know, what can I do to have them unlock their foot and find pronation? And what can we do on a joint and muscular level? Right. Um, and I was in the gym the other day and she was standing in front of me. This was probably, I don't know, maybe two months ago. And I'm looking at her and I had her move. And then underneath her feet, there were all these sweat marks. And I was like, it's weird that like, we're not really doing anything. It wasn't hot in the gym. There wasn't, you know, any reason for her sweat response to be so amped up. Hmm. So I brought her back in my office and then I started having, um, conversations that I realized I sh probably should have been having with my patients a long time ago or diving deeper into them. So I was, um, I said, how's everything going? I said, is, are there any stressors in your life right now? Right? Like what's going on? I wanted to speak with her about what she could possibly be experiencing as a person that could elicit this, you know, tension that I was seeing and clearly being exhibited by her nervous system. Yeah. It's like a stress response. She's in a stress response. Yes. Some sort. And she just unloaded. Hmm. And I pat, put her on my table and whereas usually I'm like right at the foot and we're doing all of this. I said, we're going to, we're going right to your nervous system. And we sat here and we did some breath work, slow inhales, exhales, um, working on like, you know, just really um, diving into more of a parasympathetic state. And then I jumped back down to the foot and I was like, no kidding. And her foot, the foot felt better. Hmm. So what I've been paying attention to over the last couple months is, am I seeing this rigidity in the feet being correlated to nervous systems that are amped up? And Nick, I'm seeing it so much. And it's been fascinating wow. to be able to treat um, not just biomechanically, so I'm still doing things at the foot, but almost always when I see these cases, we're tapping into um, a lot of the nervous system and calm and breath work. And I ask the I ask the questions, and a lot of the times, just that those conversations kind of quiet the patient a little bit. Yep. And it's been really um, really fun to see to really take a, an outside look of where I have just been structural, structural and realize that, you know, there's a whole big person attached to what we're seeing. And a lot of the times that rigidity, it's almost like they're um, in such a state of tension that they, they don't want to let their foot pronate or they don't want to let the tissue relax. And I think one of the reasons I've always loved working at the foot is because it's the first place in the body where you can start to see ab abnormal aberrant load, or, I mean, you can see changes. You can see changes in the structure. You can see a bunion, you can see a hammer toe, you can see these things well before potentially there's issues, hmm. um, either at the foot or the rest of the kinetic chain. You can't see inside a hip or inside a knee unless you take a film. So it's a very big window. Hmm. The feet are such a window into what's going on with that person. So it's been a fun way to um, learn new things and to be able to treat these clients from a whole different perspective. 
Wow. Didn't have that on my bingo card for your answer. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> it's funny because, and actually just to put a pin on something you just said, because Ruth, who's like my sidekick at TFC and she's just a badass. She said something when we chatted on Monday, she said the hips or the feet are the voice of the hips. And I just started like, I was like, Ooh, that's a juicy. Cause it's so, yeah. you can see so much about how a hip is behaving by looking at someone's feet and how they function or don't function naturally when someone moves oh, yeah. or stands or squats or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it's so easy to forget that like literally if you here, here's like a metaphor. Someone comes to see you in the clinic and right before they got in the door, they got in a giant car accident and somehow they, <laughs> they had just yeah. blacked out and didn't even think to not come in for the session. And they didn't even tell you about it, but they came in and they were like sweating taking shallow breaths, everything was stiff because their body was in full on stress response, hasn't even like um, downregulated yet. You could easily nitpick a bunch of shit that, you know, could be oh, yeah. fixed or worked on. But like, <laughs> probably the better thing is like, are you doing okay? <laughs> just like have yeah. them chill. And they're like, oh, wow, I just fixed everything. <laughs> because, yes. really? yeah, it's easy to forget that there is a nervous system, a brain, a human, an experience, an emotional person, an energetic person. Um, all of these things packed into the, the suit that you're looking at in particular. And I think that's where being a health generalist with a specialty, that is the prime illustration of why that's the health person, the health guide, health professional, whatever you want to call it, of the future is someone who understands the, at a general level, just how human psychology and biology meshes together and works so that when that person comes in, they can look beyond just the body part, know that they can deal with the body part if they get there, but that the body part is not disconnected from all the other important bits with this human. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's a good reminder to just check in with that. Um, because I think that's, you know, like if you could design a really powerful education experience for people. Someone's like, I want to do what you do court. Um, I don't, should I go through, you know, eight years of school or like, can you just make a course yeah. and teach me how to do what you do? You know, the idea is if you really updated that on, in a big way with a lot of energy, there would be way less anatomy specific stuff, or at least this is my thinking and way more like how to, understand human psychology and yep. look at the entire person. No, no broad categories, the pillars of health at a general level have a network of specialists you can refer to for each pillar, but just the idea, you know, this always pissed me off when I was a physio, I would come in and I would talk to people about just basic mental health stuff. Like, what do you do to take care of your brain, your mind? Yeah. Do you meditate? Do you have a practice? And if they would say no, I'd be like, well, maybe, you know, if you're not taking care of your mind and your body's in stress, probably a lot of your parts are going to have issues. And, you know, maybe we should talk about that for five minutes. And I used to hate when people are like, we're not supposed to talk about that. You're just a physio. Like, just look at their bones and their muscles. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't work. Um, right. You can do that. I did it for a long time, but it like doesn't work. And I think this is where these are the kind of fireside conversations that we can have at a summit with a bunch of people who oh, do yeah. this stuff and be like, oh, wow, that's a good point. And then everyone that leaves that summit is like, I'm going to be more aware of people's nervous systems and, mm -hmm. and how they are when they come in. And we all get better together. That's yeah. a that's a great, great anecdote. Thank I mean, you. for as little of an education that we had on foot and ankle, that's, that was twice as much as we had on actually treating a, a person's, you know, emotional <laughs> side. Yeah. I mean, there was, that was nothing. There was no talk about that at all. And I'm with you. I think that 
it's a huge, huge piece. Yeah. I think that's like part of the dehumanization of our, in the disease care system is like people literally just get looked at as diseases. And like you mm -hmm. said, initially in the conversation, like treat the person, not the disease. It's like, you can know that they have a disease or a diagnosis. Like right. you probably should know that, but that is not who that person is. And that's probably not, that's like one piece of the puzzle. You're not yeah. going to solve the puzzle, but with one piece. And if you don't know any huh. of the other pieces and you're not even looking for them, probably going to be limited in how much you can actually help this human improve their lives including their health, but not just limited to their toe health. And it completely changes your course of treatment when you have that information. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things when we have students that take the courses, they're like, I want to know what the protocol is to treat, you know, plantar fasciosis. I, there, there isn't one, there can't be <laughs> yeah. because everybody's going to bring something different to the table. Yeah. Yeah. The protocol is learn about the person, <laughs> ask them yeah. the right questions. That's the protocol. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's no magic exercise, right? right. It's just it, it, that you, you listen and then you can kind of figure out what's needed. And yeah. Yeah. yeah one thing I've been thinking of lately too, is like the idea of, I'm just trying to think of how to keep this simple without going too deep into it. The exercise that is best for that person at that time, also is dependent on what that person wants to do. Cause if you have the yeah. perfect thing for them and they hate doing it and it's not fun uh, and they never do it, it doesn't matter how perfect that thing is. Yep. You need to find something that they're actually willing and able to do. I yeah. think that's another missed part. It's like, I wish I, I wish I was taught about behavior design when I went through physio yeah. school. Cause I would really at a, at, without even going too deep into it, like really understand it. People, okay, you give someone something to do, they don't do it, they don't get results. Right. Why aren't they doing it? Is it, you know, are they not motivated to do it? Do they dislike doing it? Did they just not remember to do it? Like they're just not putting a reminder somewhere yeah. to do it, which is mostly what happens. And the difference of me telling a person, hey, set a reminder on your phone, put a post-it note on your mirror, whatever going from people doing their shit 25% of the time to like 90% of the time. It's like, yeah. why wasn't I taught that in physio school? Like I'm literally trying to get yeah. people to do things to take care of themselves that they want to do. Um, just little things that would be just so helpful as a health pro, as a modern day health pro guide, whatever oh, you yeah. want to call it. There's just such a, the bar is so low right now. I'm, I'm just so hyped about health because you know, I think we're, we're the old world where it's like, I must have a degree to help people. The new world is if I take really good care of myself and I get some cheat codes and I have a bunch of tools that I really love to use, yeah. I can just tell other people what I've been doing and point them to the tools I used. And I yeah. can help a shitload of people without needing a degree, without needing a liability perspective. Cause I, I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm just sharing what I did. And like, right. that's a different world, I think compared to this, um, symptom treatment must treat must have insurance liability yeah. degree it's like i think we're moving beyond that and yeah i'm stoked to just see how the you know the next decade unfolds in health and specifically in foot health because i think we're like on the yeah. cusp of a renaissance in footwear I agree. like t a decade ago people were wearing clothing that stopped them from moving like humans and then we all wore lulus with over a decade and we're comfortable it's like i right. think it's going to happen with the foot it's behind yeah. the clothing trend, but I think we're sort of pioneering the foundation for people to actually work into that. And it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty juiced up. Yeah. I mean, I think when we started all this, there was maybe one or two companies. And I feel like every time you turn around now, there's, there's more out there. Yeah.
Yeah. I agree. And, you know, you brought up a good point that I wanted to touch on with the, you know, I think especially with social media now, it's like, what's the, ne the next best exercise and what's the, you know, what, what should I be doing? And it's literally the, after our new patient visits, when they come in again, it's literally the first thing I, I ask them of the three things that, you know, we discussed, which one did your brain like? Which one did you like doing? Yeah. Because you could give them the best exercise on the planet. And if they're not going to do it or they didn't like it, it doesn't matter. Yep. And they'll tell you, they'll be like this one, you know, I feel good doing this one. Great. That one stays. I really didn't like perfect. That one goes. And it's not like, well, we're just going to wait and keep doing this for another three to four weeks. No, right. if they don't like it, it's out. Yep. Agreed. That's important. Um, I want to be sensitive with time. We're at 50. So we got 10 more minutes. Yeah. A question I really like to ask, and there's no wrong answer with this, um, is how do you define health in one to two sentences? Also, no judgment on the length of pause you wish to take to answer this. And okay. if I ask you in two months, I expect a different answer. So no, <laughs> you know, like everyone's got their own, everyone, a couple of people that I've asked in the podcast are like, oh God, this is a hard one. It's like, yeah, that's the point, but there's no wrong answer. So yeah, how do you define health in one to two sentences just for you, not for anyone else, for you? You know, the first word that came to my mind when you asked that was empowerment. Um, I've, I'm all, for me in particular, I like to take things into my hand and be able to do something with it. Um, I like to feel empowered. It is one of the things that I've wanted to base our practice on was not when people come here to get healthy, I don't want to have to hold their hand to do so. They shouldn't have to be coming in here three times a week for whatever. It's education, I think, is a, is a huge piece of that. And with education comes empowerment. I want them, it's still, it kind of gives me chills to talk about, because I think when you can empower someone um, to want to do things, because they know what is going, what the back end is going to be, then I think we've, we've reached healthcare to get people excited, to empower them, to be able to go do these things, not because they're being told to do them, but because they want to do them. It is it will be a transition in healthcare, but in, it, the, the passive cares can be converted to the active cares. Once that empowerment's there. So one to two sentences. <laughs> well, empowerment, empowerment is the, <laughs> I really like um, that piece. That was an important one because uh, I agree. It's like people, well, how do you define empowerment? How, what's your definition of empowerment? Um, <laughs> Making it even more complicated now. Yeah, you are making this complicated. <laughs> I think uh, giving people the tools to be able to help themselves, you know, That's what the, conf the confidence um, to be able to do it. And the, and the want, the, the, the desire to want to help themselves. Yeah. Cause there's a lot, there's also a lot of desire and mode. I, I sense this with a lot of people who want to work on their health is there's a lot of desire, motivation, and energy to get better, to like be better, to feel better, to be healthier. And I think oftentimes some of that stuff gets wasted because they don't have clarity. It's like, okay, I want to do this, but there's a million things I can do. Everyone's saying something different. Right. I've tried this, didn't work. That kind of like bummed me out a little bit. I'm losing faith that I can actually do this because it might just be too complicated. And sometimes 
it's like if you give people a little bit of clarity, they're like, oh, this is all I need to focus on. This is all I need to do for yeah. now. Um, sweet. I'm going to put my en- all the energy, all the other energy I was wasting on other shit. I can just focus into this, do this yeah. really well consistently. And because, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of people that don't lack motivation or desire to get better. They just don't know what to do. And they're being told a bunch of wacky shit by people who are supposed to be the knowers. And then they're like, well, everything I've done so far didn't work. It's like, well, maybe you weren't doing the right stuff. Um, And that's the education piece, right? I think that's why I've, I've so enjoyed being able to be like, my, my patient visits are this long because I, and I always tell them the reason I spend so much time on these visits in the emails that I send afterwards that take me, I mean, if you saw these emails, um, (laughs) they're so long and they're so detailed almost to a fault. But I always say, if you can understand the why, then you're going to want to do this stuff because you're going to say, this is, this is, this is the why, this is why I'm doing this rather than you're just going to do a bunch of stuff just because. Yes. Yeah. That would always trigger me in, in with health professionals is they're like non-compliance patients are non-compliant. I'm like, that's a bullshit cop out. It's like you haven't given them shit they want to do. That's your right. fault. It's like, don't blame the patients on non-compliance. Yeah. Don't give me that bullshit. And, and Nick, I think it's knowing the person too, right? Yeah, like for sure. you have to know who you're working with. Like what, what can this person, where is their state really of their, of their wellness? Yep. And then you bombard people with things that aren't ready for that, then there's going to be not, there's not going to be compliance. So I think really knowing the person is a big part of this. And I would love to um, sit around a campfire and talk about all of this stuff further because I think it's a big missing piece. I agree. And there's so many badass ninjas in this space. Like I had a juicy talk with Ray McClanahan the other day. That guy's such such an OG. He's been been spitting this for 25 years. And, and what's cool is only now, so he has literally been the black sheep of the podiatric medicine association. The president of the podiatric association invited him to be a keynote speaker this year at their annual conference. That's some, he thought it was an April fool's joke. (laughs) That's how crazy (laughs) he was like, there's no way this has got to be wrong. But so there seems to be this opening for people to start changing their minds, people that have, you know, generative discussions. And I think, yeah, being around a campfire with a bunch of OGs is going to be delightful. And I give him so much credit for everything that he has done to be in that position. And, you know, when people weren't talking about this stuff, right. You know, and to be able to just stand your ground. Stand your ground. Talk about consistency. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the master of consistency. Yeah. Um, all right, I think that was I think that was a pretty good combo. That's uh, yeah, what, that was great. I really at? enjoyed it. Yeah, we got to leave some in the tank for next time. Like, I think with some of these, you know, Team Foot Health, I love to speak to all the peeps on Team Foot Health. Like every six months, we do another one, share what we're learning. Yeah. Um, we're going to start having these roundtable discussions with pros at TFC. And yeah, I'm just super keen to hear from people who work with people to share stories and cases um, because I think some of the most impactful things that I've heard that have changed my perspective have come from someone just telling a story of an experience they had, just like the one you talked about with the the lady with the sweaty feet. Like that's, you can't, you can't unhear that when you hear it. And and, you know, to me, that's, that's an impactful one. So I think sharing stories is like the way we all learn. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation um, thoroughly. I think uh, 
thank you for your time for joining us. Thank you. And for people listening, uh, let them know if they want to find out more about you, what you do, uh, let them know where they go. Uh, Gate happens. So that's our Instagram account. And we also have a Facebook account there. Um, We have kind of two separate communities, which has been nice. There's one for, you know, the the patient base, if you want to learn on helping your own feet. And there's also one for clinicians, right? So if you're more interested in learning how to help other people's, um, you know, feet and things like that. So we've, we've been blessed to be able to serve two communities and there's all that information on the website too. Yeah. I think it's the pro offerings are so powerful because if you, you can help one person, um, take care of themselves and, and restore foot function. But if you can help one pro understand how to help people effectively, you can help thousands of people. It's so, yep. it's so crazy. And even just, you know, for the average person listening, it's like, just by taking care of your own feet, you can help thousands of people without saying a word by just being the example by, yeah. you know, wearing, being willing to talk about the footwear you choose to wear, how you live your lifestyle, how, what your approach to health is. I think every person who's taking care of themselves and, and, Oh, I never got the two sentences. Let's do that. Let's do that first. But yeah, what I was going to say is every person taking care of themselves is literally solving the health problem because it starts with ourselves. Our behaviors speak way louder than words. And our collective experience of just learning how to take better care of ourselves is how we socially spread this so that we can all inspire each other to take better care of ourselves. And we're all at different parts on our journey. And I think it's just a a willingness to share your experience for the benefit of people beyond yourself. That really is like, that's how we do this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Definition of health. One or two sentences. It can be one word. I just... Um, I feel like I cut you off every time we were here. <laughs> um, to educate, to educate yourself, right, so that you can empower yourself. Boom. However, you want to rephrase that. <laughs> no rephrasing needed. That was great. To educate yourself so you can empower yourself. That's a good one. Court, Courtney. You prefer court or Courtney? Doesn't matter. Court. Not me. Shorter is better. Um, <laughs> thanks for being here. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much. Thanks this is really great. Such a consistent <laughs> poster because I think, <laughs> you know, not a lot of people really put in the dedication to be that yeah. consistent. So, oh, you know, kudos to that. Thanks for all the stuff you're doing. Thanks for everyone you're helping. And uh, yeah, look forward to putting a summit together at some point and then do another podcast. Yeah, let road. us know. We shall. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join, just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.